All right. I'm recording this on Thursday, October 6, 2022. Our U.S. women's hoops team was once again crowned world champs. Let's go. The men's NBA preseason is underway, and the college hoop season is right on the horizon. A great time of year, folks. This means the WNBA is full on in offseason mode, and we're expecting this to be an extremely busy offseason for the league as it prepares for its 27th season. 27 seasons. That is no small feat. As far as startups go, new sports leagues are particularly challenging to not only get off the ground, but to establish a sustained presence. Of course, the WNBA has weathered a lot throughout its history. Six franchises have folded entirely, and we've seen five franchises relocate. In hindsight, it feels like most of the lost franchises were simply a result of bad timing, or really just putting in the early work. These lost teams are sorely missed, but they truly were beloved. For example, in its final season of existence, the Charlotte Sting registered home attendance numbers that would have put them in the top five in the league in 2022. The Sacramento Monarchs' final season would have put them in the top three of today's league. And honestly, this one surprised me. Well, you could say it shocked me, sorry. But based on the 2022 numbers, only the Seattle Storm in Suburbs' final season would have topped the Detroit Shocks' final season attendance numbers from 2009. That said, all these franchises played a major role, inspiring a new generation of women's basketball players and fans. They also built the foundation for the league to be in the position that it's in today, with a very real opportunity to soar. Like, I mean rocket ship soar. It's about to take off. The league has persisted, and now it's poised to capitalize on a golden era of women's hoops. And to be blunt about it, it frigging sucks that some of these franchises who played such an important role in the league's history are no longer around as we enter into this era. Well, at least they're not back yet. So, all this said, what can we learn from a franchise we lost? Let's find out. This is Power Talks, brought to you proudly by us over here at Power Forward. This is a space we created to address contemporary issues and opportunities in the sports industry. We're bringing together various stakeholders, think industry experts, athletes, coaches, investors, brand executives, and of course, you, me, us, the fans, to educate and create better touch points for real solutions in the space. There is no fluff here. Get that shit out of here. These are real discussions that drive impact in a way nobody else can. On today's episode, we revisit one of the iconic franchises of the WNBA's past as we discuss what happened to the Charlotte Sting. This discussion was moderated by the one and only Kelsey Trainer via Zoom on August 6, 2022. Our guests include people who were actually there throughout the rise in the ultimate fall of the Sting. Grant Williams, who currently plays for the Boston Celtics, grew up attending Sting games as a kid. So he brings perspective as a fan, as a member of the Charlotte community, and as someone who is in the business of professional basketball now. In addition to Grant, we have two former Sting greats. Allison Feaster is a former WNBA All-Star. She had a 10-year WNBA career, most of which was played in Charlotte. And she is now the VP of Player Development and Organizational Growth for the Boston Celtics. 
And rounding out our panel is the iconic Louis Vuitton Don herself, Don Staley. Don had one of the most celebrated playing careers in all of basketball, having been a six-time WNBA All-Star, a two-time ABL All-Star, two-time Naismith College Player of the Year, and three-time Olympic gold medalist. And honestly, want to feel even worse about yourself? We have a feeling her coaching career is going to ultimately put her playing career to shame. Staley is the head coach at the University of South Carolina, where she has already won two national championships and has made four Final Fours. I'm Luke Bonner. I've won zero national championships and didn't play in any Final Fours, although I got close. I'm also the founder and CEO of Power Forward. Let's dive in. I appreciate everyone being here. I, I really want to give a special shout out to our panelists today. Don, Grant, Allison, what you mean for the women's basketball community and the basketball community is, is speaks for itself. I want to personally thank you, Don and Grant, too, for everything you've done for my merge and the Invest in Women line. Um, it's been amazing and has helped us raise a lot of money for Black Girl Hockey Club and Athlete Alley. So thank you so much for that from the bottom of my heart. Before we kind of get into how things kind of progress, I wanted to start off with like a little bit of storytelling from your your days with the sing. So Don, Allison, if you want to jump in, like, can you give me a favorite, you know, memory of, of when you first started playing there or a locker room memory, just something that really stands out to you? My favorite encore memory probably would be beating the New York Liberty at the Garden in the Eastern Conference Finals. We had a interesting start to that season. We started 1-10, and 10, Don, I believe, and finished the season winning the last 17 out of 21 or something like that. Made the playoffs as the fourth seed and ultimately made the um, WBA Finals. So that's probably my best on-court memory, but behind the curtains, lots of, lots of comedy, lots of funny moments. Obviously, the best time was that year that we started one and 10, but in starting one and 10, it never really felt like we were one and 10. Like, cause we, 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 we lost our games maybe by a point or two or three, no blowouts. I mean, we were right there. And I can remember, <laughs> I, rec- I can remember, I don't know if it was the, you know, the last, the, well, the 10th loss where we had, we had our GM, Felicia Hall, Allen Hall, uh, was our GM. And she basically went around the room and told everybody what their roles were. And and if anybody knows Felicia, you know, she's really this brass. I mean, she's got a loud voice. She's a motivational speaker. So she goes around the room and she's just telling everybody, you know, what's expected of them and, you know, and I, again, it did not feel like we were one in 10. Like we weren't going crazy. We weren't panicking. We, we didn't flinch. We knew at some point that we were going to win the games. At some point, we don't know when. Fortunately for us, it, it probably started moving in the right direction after that meeting. But, you know, we were very, very positive in the in the locker room through all of that strife, all of it. So we we had a good laugh about it. Um, our the late great coach that we had and Ann Donovan really was uh, a personality that fit us well. I mean, she fit us. We were we were a little older team. We 
you know, we joked around a whole lot and it was only fitting that we, we turned that season around the way it was. All right. So somebody who was not in the locker room, Grant, I, I want to talk a little bit about like what your experience with, like, what is your earliest memory of the staying? Like you grew up, you went to games, you were from the area and had that experience. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I definitely remember just my mom taking me to games. It's actually funny. I think I was in, did I ever send you the picture when I like have a picture? I was at a Houston game, actually. We, and, we uh, need that. We need that. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> it, was a, it was a playoff game. And look back to that, like those are my early memories of the W. And it's actually pretty funny that uh, I'm working with Allison now. We actually call her Chuck in, in the office, you know. Um, so that's that's really, that's the true side to Allison. But um, it's, it's pretty cool. Just kind of those surreal moments, kind of sim- sim- similar to how, like, when I first met Kemba after the growing up in Sharp, he playing for the Hornets, playing with him. That's kind of how it was meeting Allison in a sense. Even though I was kind of young when she was uh, she was hooping, doing her thing, you know, being the superstar that she is. It's, it's just dope to be able to say that we had two, two programs or organizations in the city that one was super prosperous, the other was, you know, up and down, I feel like. Uh, so it's, it's something that I really wish we had back because I feel like the, the community is way more adapted and willing to support even more than they did then. And I think that it's going to be something that I would love to see happen again because the sting needs to come back just like the buzz were brought back to the, the to Charlotte. So we can bring back the sting as well. I love it. So I want to jump into that too. I mean, talk to me about Charlotte just for, for any of you talking about Charlotte as a basketball city and what the relationship was with the fans and the community. I feel like these two would know a little bit better from the relationship with the fans. Cause for me, I was like the kid that was just admiring, but um, in regards, especially now, I know that the city of North, the city of Charlotte and the state of North Carolina is, is even more heavily invested in the basketball as that's ever been. It's something that I feel like it's going to be very, very prosperous for the future. Cause not only is there more of a commitment to the sport as a whole, but more of a understanding about how successful both can be. I know these two can speak on the fan engagement because I was more so holding things, just waving them because I was at that age. But, you know, not 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 to date anybody. You know, I'm just I'm showing love. Can we just stop? For, I mean, there's a lot of shade throwing. I just can you guys see that? I mean, Grant's been a superstar from a very young age since the days of his Providence high school years. So. I'm the lucky one, Grant. I'm the lucky one. But I will speak to the to the fans of Charlotte. Um, obviously, North Carolina is, is basketball country, and our fans um, at the time were uh, super engaged, super loyal. We would sign autographs after the games. Wasn't def- definitely wasn't like the the most fun part to to you know stay after the games, but definitely being able to interact with our fans and and meet them. I think the impact. And what, it, what we meant to the fans, it's still present today. I ran into a former Vol, uh, Sierra Burdick, the other day um, in South Carolina. And it's my first time meeting her. And she she instantly recognized me and, and let me know that she had a Sting jersey um, when she was growing up. And what that meant to her, without a doubt, the Sting was an important you know, pillar in the community for, for a lot of people. I mean, we had a, we had a super connection to you know, to our fans. Um, I have, I still have a, a, a really strong relationship with two, two of our ball girls. They are now, uh, one of them's a, a teacher and the other one works at Apple. Yeah, she, she doesn't really give us any discounts or any notifications when the new phones are coming out, but 
but I do think she's got a high power job at Apple. It it is just that the the relationships like I mean when I was when I was participating in some Olympic games, they would they would we would have a send off city the the mayor at the time gave me a key to the city so i mean the the people there want something to to cheer for they remember i mean we haven't there hasn't been a, a sting organization since when 2007 but they still remember like i still run into people who who, who talk about our sting games and i think if there's any kind of expansion and i know philly wants a team but Charlotte would be a great place if, if Mike can help us out. Mike Jordan, Fred Whitfield, if they all can help us out and bring this thing back, I, I'm sure it will be very much in line with what, what our team has done to South Carolina. And I know it's just not South Carolinians that are coming to our games at you know, at South Carolina. They're, they're coming from North Carolina. There are our Sting, old Sting fans that are coming here and supporting. So I think Charlotte is prime, prime. You know, that franchise can can do some special things. So Charlotte, obviously an amazing like basketball city. You know, you guys are playing there, Don. I think you left in 2005. You were went to Houston and Allison, you were there kind of at the very end. Can you tell me a little about the last few seasons there? Uh, maybe from, you know, Don, your last season there and then Allison, you as well at the end there. My last couple of seasons <laughs> um, in Charlotte, I mean, we, we had a coach, honestly, we had a coach that thought I wanted her job. I'm just going to put it out there. And I had no, like, no, I still don't have any desire to coach in the NBA or the WNBA. I, I like being able to just guide uh, young people. So, we can protect our league, our WNBA. Um, so the last few years for me were, I was older, you know, I was banged up. I mean, I got it. I just wanted like open and honest communication. And it, 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 did, it didn't happen that way. I can, you know, I can't, I may not have liked what was said, but I can respect it if, if that's how they feel. You know, I was told, <laughs> I was told I had to play perfect basketball to be on the floor. I'm giving y'all some inside information. It's old, it's old stuff. Perfect? Like, perfect. Okay. So I got shipped to um, Houston, and and it, it wasn't bad. You know, obviously, you don't want to get traded, but at, at that point, you know, I, I basically told you, you got to do what you got to do. Do what makes you happy. Do what, do what. You know, do what's gonna keep your job. Do what, what you gotta do. Um, I I finished my career off um, in Houston, and no matter where I was, I always had incredible respect for um, the Charlotte fans and the organization and everything they were about. They drafted me, and I, I always feel like if I got any any like Hall of Fame awards, it's gonna be because of some of the work that that. That I, that I was able to do and experience and celebrate in Charlotte. <laughs> we know we, we know you in the Hall of Fame, go. You know, thank you for blessing us with that. <laughs> both, both, both of them. <laughs> um, my my experience was a little different. My last year in Charlotte, I just 
have a baby. He was a brown noser, y'all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, hey, I was I was telling somebody this yesterday. How do you end up being a baby? I just I just showed up. I just showed up and she, worked she, hard. She, 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 she's still that way to this day. Don't worry. <laughs> rub it off sometimes. Pot calling the kettle black. Mute yourself, uh, Mr. Brown Noser. Anyway, I had just given birth to my um, my daughter and definitely wasn't a super year basketball wise. I will say that wasn't wasn't great. Like she was born in February and the season started in May. So um, and even the this, this season prior, I was pregnant and had to st- I stopped playing not only because I was pregnant. But our, our record wasn't super, super stellar at that point either. But you could you could definitely sense that we weren't necessarily a priority. Um, the fans were certainly thinning out. The ownership changed from, I think at that at that time, the ownership changed. And we definitely weren't a priority in the, in, in the organization, in the community. So yeah, that, that's really unfortunate. And trading Don also was super unfortunate. It's, um, you never want to have a legend disrespected in any way. And to have her like say she felt disrespected is is what it is, and um, that's the tough part about professional sports. And then to have the franchise leave, just all the more unfortunate. Just just for the young people out there too, I handle it like a like a professional. Sometimes I had to sit over there, you know, <laughs> damn near the entire game. I I I kept it professional. I cheered my teammates on. I did what I needed to do. So just so you know that sometimes situations don't don't always turn out the way you envision them. Um, you got to be able to handle it. You got mentally, mentally, you got to be able physically, you, you know, you, you're, you're good, but it's the mental part of it. You're a competitor. You want to play, you want to participate. Those are your teammates, all of that. I didn't have anything against whoever they chose to be the starter or the majority minutes getter. It, it's just there's there's also a way of doing things, and that is communicating. Not when you're mad. Not it's just communicating. I, I think I, I I try to pride myself on doing that. Even even if even if it's the worst, I actually get I'm a worst case scenario type of coach where I'm gonna tell you the worst case scenario. So anything else is gonna be probably better than what I you know what I think is the bottom. And you know, I thought I I thought that the communication should have been a lot better than it was, and because of that, I think everybody, you know, everybody, I mean, everybody moved on, you know, from from that situation. So it sounds like it sounds like obviously, you know, the start of the WNBA, the, the Sting being one of the original franchises, wonderful kind of beginning experience, and then at some point you know, things started to change, obviously, when you when you trade a, a franchise player um, that that's going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. I also saw from more of kind of the business side of things as well that, um, you know, the, the Bobcats had their own television network, but the, the Sting did not have a single game on the network. So I know we always talk about investment and coverage. And so did you notice anything, you know, as players, you're obviously focused on your game, but did you notice anything about the community and the fans and the engagement kind of decline a little bit? I don't know. I don't know if as a player at that time, I was cognizant of the inner workings of the business side. And that is unfortunate. 
not that we could have done anything about it, but just to be educated on how the business model is constructed and the investment, it just speaks to the level on the totem pole that we were. It's just, a, that's just a fact. And I didn't even think about not having games on a owner-owned media platform. Any games, any mention, anything. So that is what it is. It's very black and white that we were not a priority. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, I didn't, I didn't know. I just learned something new. The WNBA was so new that we, we were really just happy to have an outlet to play professionally in the States. So... When when it's like that, you're not you're not going to stir the pot at all. You're just happy that that you're getting paid to do something that you absolutely absolutely love. And and I was one of them that I didn't really like going overseas. I actually had another job, but but it it prevented me from having to go overseas. So you're just you're just really happy. And I don't know if the league survives if if we get the the information that you just shared and we start bucking it. I don't know. We don't we don't know. I think it wasn't a very popular thing during that time to buck the system. It's very popular now. Like anybody gets any bit of information on how we can advance our sport. Oh, we're going to speak out. Oh, if social media gets a, a hold of it, then it spreads and then you can, you know, you can move mountains when you have information and you have people who are willing to you know, step out there, you know, to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're equitable. I didn't, I did not know that. There was a difference too when, you know, we basically had to get out of the practice facility, you know, when the, when the Hornets were coming in, like they wanted you out of there. We practice 10 to 12, 10 to one. If they, if they're coming in at one o'clock, they wanted everybody out of that gym quickly. And we could not get in the way of that. So I, I don't even think I ever ran into any of the players while at the practice facility. So we felt that part of it. Grant, how does it feel to listen to that, to hear that? I mean, did you ever, one, realize that you couldn't see games on TV kind of when you were younger? And then now as, as an NBA player yourself, like, I'd love to kind of hear your, your reaction. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, especially nowadays, it's more common to see, like, People encourage the off the court, understanding the business side, understanding that and what goes into what all the decisions that are being made. But I've always been told the best ability is availability. And that's just not only just physical, but also just like with everything in life. So like not being able to see those games can attribute to some of that. Like you see that with W nowadays. If you're having to search for a game, it's, it's difficult versus when in the past two years, three years, when games have become more available and people are now able to watch them and go to a certain streaming platform or go to a certain network, and now they're on they're on a mainstream network, not something that you've subscribed to on the side, the viewership has gone up over, I don't know, a couple hundred percent over the past three years. And that investment is what breeds that. And they did that with the Bobcats because they weren't popular. They're like the Hornets and left and all the other stuff. So they gave them their own network, but they didn't do that for the Sting who had long standing in the community, which I believe led to, the, to them having to leave. You know what I mean? So um, I definitely believe that when you have that option or availability to move people forward, you have to do that for not only just the males, but also for the females. Like USC women's basketball, they deserve that investment, not just because they're winning, but because 
you see what they put on the product on the table. And that's why I've always been very vocal about like the Connecticut Sun. I try and do as many engagements with them because at the end of the day, they're having success. And even if they weren't, they deserve that success because of all the hours and time that they put in just as much as we do. So I encourage not like people that are in the community like myself, but also fans who are engaged to really understand that the more you invest, the more you engage, the more you show that support, the bigger and bigger and more it rises for the next person behind. And that's, I feel like, what the league had been in the past, and that's what the W is doing to this day. There's people that are going to, st- to struggle in the moment right now, but it's going to lead to hopefully better better engagement, better um, connections in the future. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and I think, too, that something that you do so well, Grant, is you're not just an ally and an advocate, you're an accomplice. You're right there kind of in the fold, in the mix, doing the work. And we need more accomplices. We need more people with us on the journey by our side, not kind of like supporting on the sidelines, but really there to, to take the heat with us as well. So a lot of respect to you for, for everything you do with that. I've loved learning so far kind of what it was like, just a small glimpse into the, the Sting organization. And I want to talk now kind of about how things started to end, what that was like. Was there a moment, Allison, you were there, you were playing, you said you... Um, you had your daughter, so it was a little bit of a different scenario for you, but was there a moment where you kind of realized like, this is it, this is happening? And, and what was that like? I don't, I don't recall the exact moment uh, we were informed that this thing were folding, thing was folding as an organization, as a team. I was probably overseas playing at the time. I do remember just feeling super disappointed, more so for the fans. I think there were, you know, a few like, marches you know save the sting or i I know even the players might have participated in in a couple of those at the time and just super unfortunate but didn't really waste a lot of time reflecting on it as as we probably should have uh we weren't super organized we weren't organized at all to a certain extent i know that if we had a players association it was very loosely organized at the time which is in stark contrast to where the players association is today and that would have made a huge difference uh, for us back then. Is there anything that you think, in your opinion, is the core factor of what led to the end of the sting? I don't know if there's any one thing. I think if you have a team that it has such social, above and beyond the, the dollars and cents of what the WNBA could generate or a, a WNBA franchise could generate, if you have in your charge a social responsibility that adds such value to the young women and girls in the community and you don't approach it the right way then that to me is is what what's left when I think about the sting folding and other organizations like the sting folding especially given the vast resources that that are available to the ownership to the um, parent club uh, for the lack of a better expression, that's just, it's just unfortunate. And it, oftentimes you see women's teams, women organization fail, flounder because of that, because there is a lack of approach and, and investment in it and care. It has to be, you know, a passion and, and care. I, mean, I, I think it's, it was really based on finances. That's the bottom line. I mean, I, I look at, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how many how many NBA franchises work in the black? Like, I don't know. That's a, that's a question, but, but, but some of them work in the red now. Like I think uh, 
being an owner of a of an NBA franchise, you get your money on the back end when it's sold. You're not really, I don't think you're 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 making a whole lot because there's so much that's going out. I don't even know what the, the Hornet situation was at the time, but I'm sure it wasn't, you know, a franchise that was 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 in the black. And if you got one more thing that's, you know, that's pushing you further in the red, then you you get rid of it. You try it, we tried it, you know, now I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. And I, I do believe that David Stern made it, he probably made them the franchises that started off and, the, and you know, as franchises, he probably made them do that. Probably called in the favor for it to happen and and it's still holding on because of what it means to him. And then now it's it's branching out and doing some some other things. We get having some other types of of ownership. So I think it for the WNBA, it's it's is strictly based off of you know the the financial piece of it. Let me let me ask this question though. As shrewd, astute business people, you've learned to pivot when when a business unit is not functioning properly. I don't know what constraints individual franchises were under at the time, whether they could have up and moved out of the immense, whatever the Coliseum where it housed, I mean, you set, I don't know what it cost to run that, you know, that building for a game, but it, the cost there had to have been crazy. Because the, the cost, the major cost center, I don't think was our salaries. Um, I think there were other cost centers that were probably, you know, the cause for that so you know as, as business people you learn to pivot as a coach you learn to pivot when something's not working and what's the alternative we're gonna you know cancel that all together I don't know no, there's no right answer and it's hard to place it certainly can't place blame in, in one spot there's many factors but you makes you wonder like where's the, the pivot and all this when when the when the thing went under was the team still playing in the Coliseum no we're playing the Spectrum Center at that time there are some teams that you know, shifted to smaller venues that cost way less than, than playing the Spectrum Cinema cost. You know, most sports teams, most professional sports teams operate in the red and that never seems to be an issue on the men's side. So now in the W, we have these, we have this new kind of level of ownership groups who really do want to invest. You have Las Vegas and you have the Liberty. How would you feel playing for maybe an organization like that today where they want to invest all of their millions and billions of dollars back into you. Well, I mean, obviously hindsight's 2020, but those owners want their teams. Like they want them. They want to be a part of uh, a WNBA franchise. And, and like I stated before, I don't know if every organization that started out with the WNBA franchise wanted that franchise because they knew they knew what it's going to cost them. They knew it. So I think David Stern did a great job in leveraging him being a commissioner to these franchises. Now, probably it would it would have changed my career in that these owners are more open to teaching teaching their players about the business. So it and again it's almost like that ABL model where the players had a voice. I don't think the WNBA players have a voice. Maybe one or two pre franchise players may have a voice in allowing the communication to the owners, 
uh, but we all felt like we had a voice in the in the ABL. So probably just more educated, more you you gain more knowledge in of how this thing can work, and we can share it, and we can you know figure out ways in which we can help other franchises branch off from maybe some NBA franchises that might not necessarily want the WNBA franchise. So just knowledge, just learning, just learning the business. Cause I think when you, when you learn the business, you can, you can help women can help businesses. We think a little bit differently. We're, we're passionate a little bit, a little bit more. It's not just the bottom line with us. Uh, we can, we can eventually raise the bottom line um, once we understand how, how it all works and we can, we can put a womanly touch on it. Grant, I, I want to go back to you because you obviously do so much, you know, to support, support Connecticut. What do you think that, you know, the league, the team, the players can be doing to more to, to show that support and to kind of show up as, as more accomplices in the fight? The biggest thing that you see with Josiah and Mark, um, they show that investment and they're basically saying like, how committed are the other owners within the league? That's kind of what I've seen from them. It's like, we're showing this commitment. We're showing this investment. Like we want everyone to do the same. And that's something that's kind of standing out as you see within franchises that, you know, haven't like Dawn said, may not have necessarily wanted them to be there or may not have the finances to keep them there. But it's also helping the league in a sense of saying now we're investing this influx of money, trying to treat players better, trying to up the standard and, it's going to then foster, I feel like, bring in others more so than it's going to push others away because they want to be committed to that cause as well. So I think from a player perspective, as well as uh, coaching and everybody else's perspective, it's more so just making the best product possible to put on the floor because, like, when you go to, like, the very, very, like, top upper league of the W games, I remember when I to see Chicago Scott play the first time, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's skill. Like, I remember I used to think Diamond to Shields, because I was at Tennessee with her, I was like, she's like the best athlete player that I've seen, especially in the female game, like how twitchy she is. Like she reminded me a little bit of Simone. And next thing you know, like I get to the W and I see all these different names that I hadn't known before. And it's like, okay, like as long as we maximize that and really focus in on the product, then I feel like the, the, the fan engagement will follow. So um, I feel like as, as the investment continues to be committed, the more we'll see the returns. And as the league expands, I hopefully that'll do the same as well, because um, I think with more teams and more availability, you'll see a lot more engagement too. So I'm hoping that, you know, like we're talking about the sting, you know, pool collapsing. Now it's about bringing them back and realizing the buzz came back just like the Hornets did back in the day. I got a, I got a question for Grant. Um, and then I want to make another point. You and Mark Davis on first name basis now. Not going to say his um, last name. Let me just, let me, let me just say this. Um, I, you know, make connections. I shake people's hands. You know, I look them in the eye when I meet them. I, I know, how, I know. We got this connection here with me and you, Chuck. You know, I'm trying to... <laughs> uh, <laughs> and second point, I just want to... I want to applaud, and I think this is one of the reasons, definitely a factor in the WNBA, WNBA's growth and exposure um, in recent years, the, um, the support from the NBA player, the, you know, Kobe wearing the, the orange jersey, orange hoodie, um, you know, Grant being at every W event, shouting out, you know, the players, the teams, um, LeBron, uh, DeRozan. I, you can go down the down the line of players showing up at w, WNBA games and, you know, posting things on their social media platforms to, to kind of 
shout out the league and the players. So um, that that's major. Yeah, I'd add to that too. I mean, the first person who wore the Invest Pay Higher hoodie was CJ McCollum, and he posted about it online. And he said he bought ten, and then later found out he bought and gave them to every rookie that joined the team, and they started wearing them. What I love that's happening within the W now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do feel like you know, Allison Don, that the players who kind of started the W and and really put in the time and the effort and the work are starting to maybe get a bit more back from the W. Um, Mark Davis had a bunch of uh, alums out. I was fortunate to go with Tully Bitlacqua um, out to Vegas. And he treated he treated them like absolute superstars, rock styles, poured, pulled out the red carpet, paid for everything, gave them his phone numbers, you ever need anything. And I think that's something that has been missing. So it's really nice to see because I do feel like there's so many stories we haven't heard. And that's why the Charlotte Sting, I, there's not enough out there about the stories, you know, between Alice and you and Don and, and, you know, the things that you went through, whether they're uh, allowed to be talked about on screen or not. So that, that's always interesting. I wonder kind of how you feel about how the W is today um, and kind of recognizing everything that, that you all did for the league. I think definitely getting better. And um, even before me, I mean, along with, with Don, who started in ABL, you have the real pioneers of the W, the Lisa Leslie, the Rebecca Lobo, uh, Cheryl Swoops, Cynthia Cooper. Like, I was giving thought today to to the talent today and, and the talent of, you know, the first WNBA teams. And nobody would want to guard Cheryl Swoops. Nobody would want to guard Cynthia Cooper. So um, I'm really... Uh, thankful that those players are getting the love they're getting. They pioneers, they paved the way they, they slash we went through a lot. I do have a question. How good was Lauren Jackson? She would be in, in MVP conversations right now, without a doubt. Like who, who would be better, Stewie or Lauren? I'm, it's, it's, it's a close one. I mean, I don't know, Don, you go ahead. You played against Lauren and, and international. Like it's, she was tough. She was a handful. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna be patriotic on this on this one. <laughs> I mean, Stewie Stewie's pretty special. Like Stewie is is special. I mean, but I have to give credit to Lauren. You know, there there wasn't a big that was doing what she was doing. She could handle it. She could shoot the she could shoot the leather off the ball. She was mean. Like she she was mean. Like you don't want to mess with her. She had attitude. She definitely big time, big time. And she would she would call you a few choice words as well. But I think that's an Australian thing. I I, I really do. Um, I mean, she was big. I mean, she's how tall is Lauren Jackson? Is she six five? See, she's six five. She was she and Lisa used to oh have it out. They used to battle. I say we used to battle so much that I was really surprised that that Lisa Leslie named her daughter Lauren. Yeah. Like I did, I, I was so like Lauren, like Lauren Jackson, the battles y'all had. I had a conversation with somebody who was had been talking to her, and she's playing now, and she said she like doesn't feel that meanness that she had. So I don't know if if she's kind of lost that, but uh, like when you watch the clips, you watch her play, like she was mean, and now she's kind of like very. She's very soft. She's got kids uh, now. So I think she's right. that, the kids softened her up. <laughs> That's awesome. So one more question. I'm going to try to get to a fan question or two as well. Do you think there's enough support to bring the Sting back as an expansion team? Hell yeah. I'll be, I'll be the 
first first and only i'll be i'll be the first and only fan. i'll buy the ticket i'll buy the seats like for me it's like i just want it back in my city because i love charlotte and i think that for one like it would help the community especially and i feel like with all the youth program that's there what steph is going to do I, I like i would love to see riley curry on the, on the on the sting one day if she hoops you know what i mean like i would love to see um you know uh baby fee baby feaster you know just on the sting i would love to see Aaliyah boston on the sting you know i'm, I'm just putting, putting these words out um because i just think that when you look at the league as a whole you probably want to add a team and like like I think Charlotte's probably the, the if, if not the first, second market that I would say I wanted to have a WNBA team in. I mean, we need we need we need more people like Grant. I think that if there are more people in Charlotte that that thinks and acts with their heart like Grant, absolutely. I, I really don't think there would be any hesitation on the fans' part. They are chopping at the bid for for another tr- franchise to to cheer. So I don't I don't know if there are enough people who can financially uh, support it are as gun ho as as Grant. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything to add. I do know there is a void in the summertime for 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 hoops um, in the in the Carolinas, and the game has grown a lot since the Sting left. The game has grown a lot in since the WNBA started. There are championship collegiate teams in the area grassroots and high school talent is getting better. So what what more do you need absent the money and investment uh, to, to, to know, to answer that question? What was, pre- what's preventing it? I feel like everything is, is foundationally there. Um, the, the fandom is going to be there. The, the buy-in and the market is going to be there. So now it's just about the financials, but financially, like it's one of those things, like you invest in, in deals, you invest in products that you have no idea if they're going to pan out or not. And people do that every single day. They put a blind and they're like, oh, I believe in the I believe in the people. I believe in the people of the W. And that's why I'll always, you know, speak out on it and say that, you know, hopefully the stink come back sooner rather than later. I mean, MJ can MJ can can uh, produce a, a retro Jordan and balloon. There's the franchise money. That's the that's the seed money to get things started. Every year he can he can throw one out there and it's done. And it's done. I was about to say, even if it's, I'm about to say, there's a, there's a lot of names that live in North Carolina that I feel like you can throw out there that even if it's not Mike, you know, Mike, he's already the the small, small market owner in Charlotte, quote unquote, for the Hornets. But even if he can do both, even if he's a partial, because I feel like you add, attach him to a, the cause, it makes it even better. Same with like Rick Elias and other guys like that, like that live in North Carolina that are committed to the community as a whole. I feel like there's a lot of like people that can invest. And I feel like it's one of those things that if the league would allow it, I know that players can invest as well. I know Chris and myself and staff, I feel like others would be, would be interested as well. So maybe when hopefully 20 years down the line, I get a chance to, to, you know, put my seed money in there. I love it. I love it. I think, I think uh, what Grant and everyone here is saying is uh, invest in women. Uh, so I think that's, that's the message. Can I, I need to ask Donald one quick question. What? Okay. <laughs> Were your sting years your best years playing, or did we did we did we not see you in your prime? Yeah, I mean that was that was my prime. But understand this, I was hurt most of my career. I was hurt mentally. I I just got through. But yes, well, actually no, the ABL, ABL, ABL. I was I was fresh off in the Olympic Games, and I felt the best that I felt, and yeah. then having to spend those two long years, like the season was long, it was traditional basketball season. 
that's when I knew I was like, my knees won't be able to hold up for many more of these seasons. So let me go, let me go work for four months out, you know, in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many did you give Chuck back, back <laughs> when you were on the sting? You know, like how many, like, cause I know she was never the best defender, is what I was told. Listen, so like, actually, she, actually, she played, she played the best offensive player, right? I was and I, I I was running up to defensive player of the year, Grant. Quiet yes. down over there. Quiet I heard that was all, all no, she, no, she's like this, Grant. I heard popularity. She's just like this, Grant. She's just like this. She's ready to pull the trigger. Don't ask me to put the ball on the floor. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> she still can't draw with her left hand. Don't worry. Hey, I hold that all day. Stress. She, she, dribbles, she dribbles like, actually, the video games, the video games are better than her now. Like the video games move with, move I get you, I get you a bucket though. <laughs> <laughs> big guard though. She was a big guard, big guard. <laughs> unafraid, like unafraid. Appreciate you guys. Everybody. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, see y'all. Thank you. Take care. Thank you all so much for joining. I I so appreciate it. Once again, this is Power Talks, produced by Power Forward. We record these live in front of a virtual audience, and we would love to have you join. Sign up for our email list on our website, powerforward.co. That's P-W-R-F-W-D dot C-O. And be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time.